one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of that we've done on Money Talks is talking about the coming commodity boom. We actually had a conference on it in February 2020 before it really started, but we started talking about it about five months earlier. And as uh, you heard from Martin Armstrong, he thinks it's going to continue. I wanted to get right down to the ground level, though, right now and talk to Claudia Tornquist, who's the CEO of Kodiak Copper. Uh, Claudia, can I just ask you, give me the broad view of you thinking of the, the sort of the, the the top line view of the copper market at this point in terms of conduct, uh, consumption, production, that kind of stuff? Well, my view on copper is very positive. In my mind, there's no doubt that we're in for a sustained period of high high copper prices. And why is that? We have, of course, the demand side, and the demand primarily is driven by the green revolution. All these green technologies, all the electrification, whether it's electric cars, solar, wind, all these industries are very copper intensive, much more so than the industries they replace. And obviously, these are very fast growing industries. And that means there's a big, big, big um, demand on the horizon for copper. And then if you look at the other side of the equation, at the supply side, that picture is quite stark. The development pipeline in copper is at an all-time low at the moment. There have only been four major discoveries over the last decade, simply because commodity prices have been weak for an extended period of time, and so not much exploration happened. And the result we have now that there are just not many mines being built, not many discoveries have been made, and pair that with a lot of demand. And yeah, there will be a crunch. Goldman Sachs predicts 8 million tons of, of gap, supply demand gap, in a market that's not even 25 million tons in total. Uh, give me an just uh, sorry, a ran, not a random question. It's related, but how long does it take? And I know I'm asking a generality, you know, but how long does it take to get a copper mine? If if you and I had an idea, we said, okay, let's discover some copper. We got lucky and we did. How long do you get to increase to get into production? I mean, just give me a ballpark. Well, copper mines are very often large, big elephant mines. Some. Um, 30% of copper production is from 10 big mines. So consequently, it takes time to bring a project to fruition and to build a mine. And you're looking at 10 years plus from discovery to when you actually have a producing copper mine. Wow. So, I mean, and we know renewable demand is going to be there, you know, as we transition. So, I mean, that just, it just shows you the degree to which it's going to be very difficult for the supply to meet the demand, you know, if we, as we do this transition in this place. Again, let me give, ask you a couple of questions about Kodiak, because again, it's sort of like the on the ground kind of stuff. So you're out there, you guys are exploring right now, you're drilling kind of things. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, Kodiak's uh, main project is the, the MPD project in Southern BC, where we made a discovery that was a real game changer for the company last year. And this year have a large drill program going, 30,000 meters, up to 30,000 meters. So a very active year. And it's certainly been a challenging year for many companies out there with wildfires and drought and all. But we're fortunate, um, program advancing well. We are on budget and motoring ahead. And um, we'll still be drilling for another 
um, one or two months until um, late this autumn. What, what's the environment like to raise capital? Uh, you know, I would think that, uh, as you described at the outset, and something that we've been big, um, you know, fans of is the demand side. Uh, has that made it easier to raise money for projects? Well, we are fortunate in that we are fully funded for the current mm-hmm. work. Last year, on the back of our discovery, just about a year ago, we raised $12.7 million. So that funds all our work this year and well into next year. And I would say in general, at the moment, this is a good place to be because the markets have been very challenging for junior explorers, not just us. Our share price has held up reasonably well still, but um, it's just been very difficult. Uh, Markets and share prices are low. So at these levels, I would certainly not uh, want to raise any money. But yeah, I mean, we have lots of news coming and the market will hopefully um, improve and uh, we'll take it from there. The other thing is a Canadian business or, you know, doing business in Canada. Uh, you know, we just had, of course, uh, a reconciliation day on September 30th. Are you working with First Nations and what that what's that like? Is That's part of the new reality of doing projects, as you say, you're in southern B.C.? That's a very good way of, of putting it, new reality. Because in the in the olden days, miners would just go wherever they wanted to build their mine, not really um, uh, talk to local communities. And we've seen many instances where that really backfired. So really today, um, the approach is very different. And the whole sort of First Nations and stakeholders, local stakeholder relations, that's a very important part of an explorer's work. In our case, we consult extensively, even though we're still very early stage, with all the First Nations in the area. Um, In our area in southern BC, there are 21 First Nations whom we keep informed, have meetings with, get um, their input. And it's very important to build these relationships early on and shape the the project in in, um, a collaborative way so as to not run into problems later on. And that's very much what we're doing. And it's a very constructive relationship. The First Nations in our area in particular, which is a, a mining area, they really understand their stuff. They are very much in favor and know the economic benefits from a mine and just want it done properly so that the negative impacts on the environment are minimized. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I, th- this is a broad question. Maybe you're not allowed to answer it. Is BC an easy place or Canada in general an easy place to do projects like Kodiaks? I would say it's easier than many. Mm-hmm. It can sometimes be a bit slow and bureaucratic of mm-hmm. permitting and those things. But on the other hand, um, it's very much an established process. And the, also the First Nations, um, they um, have been involved for a long time and they, um, they know um, mining and they know the consultation process. So it's very well um, established process and you just have to go through the steps and do it right. And then you can advance with your project and your mine. It's a fascinating area. It's a metal I love because of what we've been discussing, but it's also a real challenge for all levels of government, as you say, relations with First Nations companies, because 
we can't afford a 10 year cycle to open up a mind. You know what I mean? If we truly want to do the transition, that's a reality, at least generally in the public hasn't been acknowledged. So I'm happy to hear things are going well for Kodiak Copper in that regard. And we do appreciate you finding time for us, Claudia. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Claudia is CEO of Kodiak Copper, Kodiak Copper.